Turretin Fan, which is probably a pseudonym of some kind, is abbreviated T Fan. And and then uh Jason Pratt um are debating a motion that involves, I think, six verses. They're pretty standard sort of infernalist eternal hell verses. And Jason Pratt is coming in with his very interesting interpretation, which I don't know to what degree was borrowed from Robin Perry. Could be a very large degree, but it's just um, bringing uh, Isaiah in mostly, but but also other books um, uh, to his interpretation of those infernalist verses beginning with Jude. And the way that he does it is quite interesting. Um, so, yeah, um, if we wanted to go back um, to the recording, I just wanted to explain that, that, that this is what's going on. This is a debate moderated by Chris Date, but it's old. It's like back in 2011. I don't know what happened to Jason Pratt because um, I don't see him being very active on the internet anymore as of like the last four years. So one hopes he's okay. Um, but um, yeah, this is kind of an old debate. Um, but um, it's pretty interesting to me, the the moves that that Jason makes. I've actually never really seen anybody argue uh, from the scripture for, for universal salvation quite as convincingly. And he also does it on his own. On the on the show that he did with um, this guy, I can't remember the other guy's name, it was just called the Evangelical Universalist uh, Show. And all they really did was interview Jason Pratt. And um, he, he says a lot of really interesting things over there, too. Um, it, um, but, um, yeah, we can we can kind of get into the, the the argument that he's making. He drops a lot of scriptures. I can actually read the scriptures because I prepared beforehand. I have them um, on my phone. Um, the first one, I think that they discuss. I think he actually first starts with Jude. And so... Um, the actual verse is Jude 1, 6. So if we just read like the first eight verses of Jude, Jude, a bond servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are the called, beloved in God, the father and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy and peace and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, while I was making every effort to write you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints. <clears throat> for certain persons have crept in unnoticed for those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation. Ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. Now I desire to remind you, though you know all things once for all, that the Lord, after saving a people out of the land of Egypt, subsequently destroyed those who did not believe. And angels who did not keep their own domain, but abandoned their proper abode, he has kept in eternal bonds under darkness for the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, since they were in the same way as these indulged, since they in the same way as these indulged in gross immorality and went after strange flesh, flesh are exhibited as an example in undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. Yet in the same way, these men also by dreaming defile the flesh and reject authority and revile angelic majesties. So, um, yeah, Jude 1, 6, um, 
talks about angels being kept under eternal bonds. So it's a little interesting that they even chose to zero in on that verse because it doesn't really seem directed to human kind, but there are plenty of verses which seem to warn of eternal judgment for members of the human race, not just angels um, in the book of Jude. So um, that's interesting, but I, we can see what, what Jason Pratt does with that. Okay. And hit play again. And in prison, as in Jude 1, 6 in its context, to be visited after many days. Does that mean punished, which was already happening, or reconciled and set free, which is what the term usually means elsewhere, subsequent to being imprisoned, as in this case? I would also interpret Jude 1, 6 in light of what 1 Peter 3, verses 19, 20, and 22, and chapter 4, verse 6 mean, since in the narrative and thematic context of Jude 1, 6 and its parallel in 2 Peter, indicate Jude is talking about rebel angels who incarnated before the days of Noah and were destroyed in the flood. Much more relevantly to my forthcoming material in this pause? debate, I would interpret Jude. Yeah. We can read those two. We talked about it once before in the context of postmortem redemption. Um, if there is such a thing. Um, and um, yeah. And then... uh, the, the, the thing is, I don't know why I said it was so unclear because when I looked at it, it seemed relatively clear. You know, um, for Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which also he went and made proclamation to the spirits now in prison, who once were disobedient, when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah during the construction of the ark, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Well, it is ambiguous, for sure, in the sense that you don't know if it's um, human if this if it's the spirits of deceased human beings or if it's angels but um seems like pratt thinks that it's referring to angels well i think the specific one like that's the verse we talked about before um where it says christ went and preached to the spirits in prison and that's where i was kind of pulling on that there seems to be a repentance after death when i think we brought that one up but the one uh that's almost parallel to Jude is actually second Peter um, chapter two. And it starts in verse four. It says, for if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down into hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment and did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, eight, uh, a people, one of eight, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood of the world and the ungodly and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned to destruction making an example of those who would afterward live ungodly and delivered righteous lot who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked for that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. Then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the judgment uh, for the day of judgment. And especially those who walk according to the flesh and the lust and uncleanness, uncleanliness and despise authority. They are presumptuous self-willed they are not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries, whereas angels, who are greater in power and might, did not bring a reviling accusation against them before the Lord. So that's the part that I think is almost, is very, very similar to the Jude passage that he was referencing. Okay. I but, see. So his, his argument is that, um, you know, if in, if in Peter there is, there is, um, a, a descent by Christ into the underworld. 
um, to make proclamation even to the spirits in bondage, then that that offers some hope of the same thing happening to those who are under similar condemnation in Jude. Is that his argument? I think so. That's I think that's from my understanding. Yeah, I don't really understand this part as clearly as I think I understand certain other parts. Maybe yeah. if you keep playing it, it'll get a little okay. bit clearer. One six. In light of testimony about what happens to the human sinners mentioned around that verse, the whole point there is that false human teachers will share the prior fates of other human and angelic sinners. But if human sinners turn out to be reconciled, that would lend weight to rebel angels faring the same eventually by the same comparison. Fortunately, this is what I'll be positively arguing from the other four scriptures agreed to by T-Fan. So, moving on. 2 Thessalonians 1.9. Usually this verse is debated between proponents of eternal conscious torment and of annihilation, although both sides naturally consider it strong testimony against the salvation of these sinners from sin. Those who do not know God and those who do not obey the good news of our Lord Jesus shall have justice dealt out to them by our Lord, in verse 8, when he is revealed from heaven in flaming fire, verse 7, and they shall value the justice of Ionian whole ruination from the face of the Lord and from the glory of his strength, verse 9. That's what those verses more literally read in Greek. I'll pass over the term Ionian there, assuming that Tifan is well-read enough to know that sometimes it describes things that go on forever, never-endingly, and sometimes it describes things that had a beginning or have had an end. And so, since its meaning varies, it has to be determined by context, except insofar as the object it describes comes uniquely from God. There may be a few exceptions, but not in the New Testament, so far as I recall. That's all neutral to our purpose. We both agree in any case that context determines the meaning, and surely Tifan will agree that what is Ionian here does come uniquely from God. Which is especially important, and I expect Tifan will agree here too, for comprehensively exegeting this testimony in Trinitarian apologetics. The term Ionian itself is one indicator that Paul is identifying the person of Jesus as God Most High, even though Paul also distinguishes between the persons of Jesus and God in some real and significant fashion, such as in verse 1 of the same chapter. Moreover, Paul is personally putting Jesus in the action of ultimate judgment ascribed only to Jehovah in the Old Testament, not to any lesser Lord or God. And that isn't only a generalized observation. Paul is, refer is referencing a specific portion of Scripture here. The judgment of Jehovah in the day of Jehovah's forthcoming appearance, described in Isaiah 2.10. From the terror of Jehovah and from the splendor of his majesty. Also paralleled in verse 21 as, before the terror of Jehovah and the... Yeah. To the Isaiah 2.10... I think he's he said that's the that's the verse that he's saying is parallel to Second Thessalonians uh, uh, chapter one verse nine. So we gotta um, enter into the rock and hide in the dust from the terror of the Lord and the glory of His Majesty. Okay, and um, uh, let's go to um. Uh, Go back to Second Thessalonians. So one, one nine. Yeah. Away from the presence of the Lord and the glory of his power. So it's like glory of his majesty versus glory of his power, presence of the Lord. Um we think about this as a kind of Judgment Day sort of deal. I mean, it's not implausible. Um, it's not an implausible comparison, but I guess the question is how close is the verbal similarity? Because, like, 
Um, if it's super close, then yeah, that would really make you think that Isaiah is the key to this verse. But um, if it's not as close, then it's like it's more of a stretch. Um, and the terror of the Lord and the splendor of his majesty. One almost wants to look at like, um, I, I could, I mean, probably it's different words than the Greek. I want to look at that, like a Greek interlinear. Wow. Not that I read Greek, but but um, uh, I mean, I well read it or in the sense of decode it is all that I can do. Um, but you know, if I see what the the words are, uh, it was okay. Let me see if I can do a Septuagint interlinear. I mean, Isaiah is going to be Hebrew, though. No, it's Septuagint. Oh, okay. I see. So, um, AI I used to have that as an app. But I want the interlinear if they have it. Oh, yeah, those are the words, but are they going to give me the translation? What would, it was Isaiah 2.10? Isaiah 2.10, yeah. Yeah. Can you do Greek interlinear Second Thessalonians uh one uh chapter one verse nine? I think I can get it on my phone. Blue letter by the way. Greek interlinear. Okay, sorry. Well, I, I was wondering if you could maybe put it on the screen. Oh, okay. Yeah, let me see if I can. Can you see that still on Google's phone? Yeah, yeah. Okay, all right. So it was two. Yeah, yeah, the Bible Hub. Oh, yeah, that one on the top. Uh, should, okay, that one should probably be fine. I think it's the one that I usually use. Okay. Right. Okay. So it's. It's referencing this. This is literally just verse nine. This is just verse nine. Yeah. Do you want more? I can hit the next verse after. Okay. So it says, "Eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord." and from the glory of the power of him, okay? And then, so that's, oh, it's it's actually very similar in Greek, actually, even though the English translation is different, because um, uh, in in um, Isaiah, unfortunately, I don't have the interlinear, I don't have a Septuagint interlinear, but Isaiah 2.10, um, um, it says, what pros oh see can we go back to what it was before yeah um no no yeah, yeah. no no oh okay they're right there okay yeah, yeah, yeah. I got so you. it says uh, the words away from the presence of the lord and from the glory of the power of him i think are almost are there word for word in, in isaiah as well okay. so uh, okay. up to so and then it's um here it's apo prosopu to fovu kiriu. So it's adding the word fovu is like fear. Ke apotis doxis, apotis doxis, um tis ischios. So it's doxis tis ischios, it's the glory of the power of him. Um otan anasti trafse tin yin. So I actually don't know what those words are. Um, 
but so you you've got you've got more so than an English translation, there's a verbal similarity is, is what I'm seeing. If you don't translate it, you know, like because because if we go back to the, what it was in English, you know, wasn't there a difference? It was like the glory of the power versus the glory of the splendor, right? Yeah. But in the Greek, it's the same. Yeah, mine says the majesty, glory of His Majesty, and yeah, glory of His Majesty, splendor. Yeah. Exactly. So, if whatever in English, there's a difference in wording, but I think from Jason Pratt's point of view, it makes more sense to connect these because if you go to the Greek, it's like actually similar wording. Okay. It says the glory of the power. What? Um, but it's not as though, you know, either of us has actually very good Greek. But nonetheless, <laughs> I I thought that if you wanted to scratch the surface, there would probably be a there there. Because if we just only do it in English, then it's going to sound like, what is this guy talking about? But I think that a lot of what, what this guy's, um, a lot of what is informing this guy's approach is, 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 is original languages. Um, okay. So but is that if we wanna, helpful? Um. I think so, because because okay. um, if we're doing this kind of close reading evangelical game, then if you go to the original uh, manuscripts, that that may be a more reliable indicator as far as the verbal similarities, because if somebody is, is writing uh, a verse and the words are very similar to, you know, another book that is, you know, all else equal, some indication that maybe that book is some some interpretive key, you know, is, is the is the kind of, you know, hermeneutical yeah. assumption that's being made here. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Okay. Um, should I play more? Yeah, yeah, we can play more. Splendor of His Majesty. Similarly, shortly prior to Second Thessalonians 1, 9 and verse 7, when Paul is speaking of the Lord Jesus being revealed from heaven with the angels of his power, he is referencing Zechariah 14, 5b, where the prophet says in regard to the same situation, thus Jehovah, my Elohim, will come and all the holy ones with him. This Isaiahic prophecy extends from chapter 2 through the end of chapter 5. It criticizes the unjust and oppressive Jewish rulers and population, although especially the rulers. Jehovah declares that they shall be, in effect, although the exact term isn't used, wholly ruined in the day of the Lord to come at the coming of Jehovah among them. This is not the end of their story in these chapters, however, although this can be obscured by the fact that Isaiah does not report things in sequence. He starts with the end result, for example, chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, where the mountains of the house of Jehovah will be established as the chief of mountains, and all the nations shall stream to it to be taught Jehovah's ways by Jehovah so that they may walk in his path. And Jehovah will act as arbitrating judge among the nations so that they will live in peace with one another ever afterward. It is in context of looking forward to this day that Isaiah calls Israel to stop their injustice and their idolatries and repent and come back to walking in the light of Jehovah. People, especially the egotistical leaders who refuse to do so, will be humbled and abased so that Jehovah alone will be exalted in that day. A repeated theme in chapter 2, verses 10, 19, and 21 is that doers of injustice will try to hide from Jehovah's appearance in caverns, but they will also throw away their idols, verses 18 and 20, possibly into the same caverns with the moles and the bats where they themselves attempt to hide. In the second half of chapter 3, Isaiah switches metaphors and begins to speak of rebel Israel as daughters of Zion, who are proud, seductive adulteresses, who shall be humbled in fashions analogically parallel to the more masculine humbling imagery elsewhere in the prophecy. The outcome of this, however, is more fully reported. Defeated rebels shall, approach, shall appeal to the righteous to save them and to take away their reproach. The imagery is that of, de of desperate women after a battle begging to be made the indentured servant concubines of the conquerors. Notably, the righteous remnant, everyone who is recorded for life in Jerusalem, 
the holy ones who are left in Zion and remain in Jerusalem, servants adorned by the beauty of the branch of Jehovah, are called the survivors in distinction from the rebels pleading for salvation. That's in verses 1 through 3 of chapter 4. Nor shall the pleas of the defeated rebels go unanswered. Jehovah shall wash away the filth of the daughters of Zion, purging the bloodshed of Jerusalem from their midst by the spirit of judgment and the spirit of burning. The result will be that the pillar of day smoke and night fire, as in the presence of Jehovah during the Exodus, will be a shelter from the storm and the rain and the heat. That's chapter 4, verses 4 through 6. Chapter 5 goes back to the theme of coming punishment for rebel Israel and does not mention salvation for the rebels again. In this context, Isaiah 2, verse 9, which precedes verse 10, and that's the part referenced by St. Paul in 2 Thessalonians, should not be translated, but do not forgive them, as, for example, in the New American Standard Version. The primitive verb there, which means to lift and has a wide variety of usage in the Old Testament, should be interpreted in a sense parallel to other portions of the same chapter instead. Do not lift up the humbled proud again to their former status of exalted rebellion. For example, chapter 2, verse 22, cease for man whose breath is in his nostrils, for in what should he be esteemed? In any case, the context of Isaiah 2 through 5 indicates that the fate of rebels wholly ruined from the presence of Jehovah is not hopelessly final. Even the proudest rebels are shown in a process of preliminary repentance, although not yet seeking salvation, by throwing away their idols. Other proud rebels seek repentance, including by petitioning the victorious righteous survivors, and receive reconciliation. Okay, you want to pause here? Okay, so, um, so I guess to just kind of, again, explain what's happening. He's, he's looking at, um, he's using Isaiah as some kind of interpretive key to Second Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 9. And off the top of your head, Jason, how legitimate do you think it is for him to be doing this? Like, um, the top of my head. Okay. Um, I mean, I... I personally, I'm not, uh, it gets a little too technical for me. Um, I it used, is technical. Uh, yeah, I used, I mean, I do think it's it's necessary because like you said, it, um, that verse in Thessalonians might actually be a throwback to Isaiah, which is helpful. But um, it's, to me, it's just, uh, it's, it's so technical. He kind of loses me personally. I think he does a good yeah. job of, of weaving scripture together, but I think it's the, it's the whole, to me, it's always, I think I've come to the whole narrative of almost the, the entire story and, and trying to look at the, the pattern of, of giving life is what kind of, to, um, to where I, I, I kind of let go of the tech, technicalities of it, but I don't know that that it's not necessary and i and i probably got to those the conclusions i came to through being very technical like he was in the beginning or something or looking at like okay it says this here and this matches up here and hopping all over because I, I like what he does how he's how he's pulling from my i mean the, the the thing that really hit me like a ton of bricks when i listened to this i was like oh, i did i didn't even realize before that i mean if jason pratt is right then the new testament authors are you know they're 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 constantly echoing the the old testament uh you know similar old testament verses you know yeah. whenever they you know are are you know making their pronouncements on you know different eschatological issues and yeah. um you know it's it's like 
maybe maybe the the power like the power of his glory or whatever that phrase was it's just like a really common stock phrase but um at the same time it seems incredible like if uh you know the septuagint was their bible and was using this this phrase that that sounds like it's like the one in isaiah where it is the phrase in isaiah it seems incredible that he, he wouldn't he wouldn't be consciously echoing that and it's just kind of our own ignorance um, that prevents us from from seeing that. I mean, I don't know. Um, or at least my own ignorance. You know what I mean? Like I tend to just read books like just just in a modular way, just like in a standalone way. Mm-hmm. So like in Revelation, I didn't even realize that that um, uh, that Zechariah fourteen eight talks about the river of living water coming out of the New Jerusalem. Yeah. yeah. Um in the the summer and winter. I was yeah. only looking at Revelation to understand Revelation. Yeah. So Jason Pratt is, is looking at the Old Testament to understand the New Testament. But the, the the question is if you're doing this how can it end up being non-universalistic because in the Old Testament when there's judgment on Israel it's never the case that okay now Israel you're just done. Like God hates you now you're done. No, it's like there's no coming back. It sounds like that but then there's it always comes back. Mm-hmm. So if you if you're gonna if you're gonna use the Old Testament in that way, um, as as your kind of interpretive framework for the New Testament, then it's like how will you not um, come away with universalism? But then see then then if that's if that's your kind of your methodology, the question is if the text in the New Testament wanted to say that there was no coming back and it truly would be eternal, how would it say so? I mean, I guess it could just be more clear. Um, I, yeah. you know, I mean, like it's 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 weird, man. It's it's kind of tricky. Yeah, it is weird because it's not it's okay because it's not extremely clear. Otherwise, we wouldn't be having all these conversations. I've kind of walked away at this point of like like I've said to you before. Um, I like your term, hopeful universalist. I would call myself a universalist, but um, I sorry, would... it's getting it's 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 chopping up right now. You said you said it is weird. You kind of walked away. What? Oh, like and now through, like reading the scriptures and stuff, and taking trying to take it precept upon precept, line upon line, and like literally just take the entire Bible and wrestle with the whole thing. I basically I like your term that you've used, hopefully universalist, um, and I think that's basically where I stand now. Um, because there's there's still a few things that i still wrestle with in the scriptures but most mostly i like you said it leads me to something like universalism because you follow the story of the bible and there seems to be uh god's purpose is reconciliation and a restorative justice like you've mentioned before and bringing all back to himself his creation and back back to a a newness so well i I tell you, in listening to this this guy, like, did you did you listen to did you listen to his opening yeah. statement? Yeah, I, right. I I'm pretty sure. I mean, like like I said, when I was listening to it while I was driving, there were a few parts where I think he lost me just because it it does get very technical. It's kind of hard to follow unless you're kind of almost reading along with him or something. Like we're well, doing it's, now. it's very kind of rep, rep It's kind of repetitious in a certain way, also, mm-hmm. where. Yeah. Um, 
you know, but um, one of the things that occurred to me when I was listening to him was the, say so he's using the Old Testament as this kind of key. And it's like, okay, then you see the Old Testament patterns repeating in the New Testament, and yeah. it's really interesting. Yeah, yeah. But but the thing is, if you're going to interpret it in a non-universalist way, what you have to do is you have to keep saying all doesn't mean all, all doesn't mean all, all doesn't mean all, over and over and over and over again. And then what I noticed is the way that it stops the Bible from actually being fractal. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. and I thought that was interesting because... Um, yeah, I've told, I've told Mitch before, I was telling him, because he was actually shocked that I said it, is I said, usually when universalists... Um, just jump to the scriptures and they'll just quote a bunch of scriptures that say all I've told him like, for some reason, I don't actually find that compelling and I'm not sure why, but I think what's compelling to me is kind of what you're getting at. It's the, the fractal pattern of it where that's what actually makes me believe that all means all. It's not just because someone's like, Oh, here, look, it says all because, uh, I don't know. It's kind of, it, yeah because it um because like there's parts where it says that an entire earth shook or something when someone shouted and it's like does is that speaking poetically like what does that mean even so i guess you i could always get into those debates if i become too technical about the words but then if i just look at like you're talking about look at the entire scripture and see all the patterns and it's like okay all actually does mean all because it's a pattern of reality like things don't exist like without this without the gospel like that's without what christ stands for that's what actually like restores and gives life this pattern well you know mitch mitch another thing that hit me when i was watching this was um um mitch mitch asked me do you ever find an example of um uh fire say the fire of god's judgment uh being discussed in a restorative way and um off the top of my head i could only give that um that verse from saint paul that talks about those who will be saved as through fire yeah um, there's uh and i can't there's there's man mitch was here uh <laughs> there's a it's when one of the prophets the old testament prophets that talked about refiner's fire so like you refine you get the dross away you take away the dross by throwing it in the fire that's multiple times in the old testament it talks about fire in that way and in song of solomon it says uh what is it um i'll just read it so really here's, quick here's what i would what i would say i guess another way to say what i just said it's like you can use israel as as the model for what happens to each individual um mm -hmm. um but if you say all doesn't mean all then you can't do that um but if you say all does mean all then those verses are inviting you to 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 view the fate of individuals and of nations in the same way that um you know you uh that you uh view israel uh in the in the, in the hebrew bible of the old testament yeah and um you know what was what was interesting to me was so you know i i guess yeah what you're saying is you can kind of have those you can use those images in the old testament of a refiner's fire to kind of um 
color your understanding of what ha happened subsequently. Um, when I was talking to Mitch, the only verse I could think of um, was was that verse by St. Paul that says that um, some will only be saved as as through fire. Um, and, but the, the the limitation of that verse is the context is he's only speaking to to believers. But the thing is, one of the verses that's in the debate in this debate is um some uh, Matthew eighteen eight, and um uh, so I, I have that right here, or do I? Um, okay, yeah. So we just it's um if you if you're if your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it from you. It's better for you to enter life crippled or lame than to have two hands or two feet be cast into the eternal fire. Um, and then what he does is he goes to Mark and um, he looks at the same verse in Mark and notices that um, it is followed by um well, the, there's the line where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched, and I think that's from the end of Isaiah. Um, and um, and then he said, and then it says, "For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if the salt becomes unsalty, with what will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another." So you know, non-universalist response there is that everyone doesn't mean everyone; it only means all the believers. And he's jumping now from the fate of description of the fate of everyone to when he says everyone will be salted with fire. Now he's implicitly restricting the scope to just believers. Now, of course that's not mistaken, but if you, the more fractal pattern would be, no, everyone is salted with fire and also believers. Um, you know, they, they have that pattern too, where among the believers, there are those who are failing and there are those who are, meeting their obligations right and, and um so what was interesting is because he says salt is good but if the salt becomes unsalty with what will you make it salty again salt others you, you have to be salted by fires is, is the point if you if you become unsalty if you the salt become unsalty then then you have to be made salty by fire um but so have salt in yourself. Don't be such that you need to be salted with fire. But he says salt is good. It's good to be salted with fire, the implication. And he says everyone. And and but then again, if you just say, well, everyone doesn't mean everyone, then it's like, okay, maybe. But the thing is, that's also where it's kind of almost two strikes that are incurred because you have to depart from the pattern of the old testament and you have to no longer be using that narrative grammar. Yeah um with its you know there's there's the warning of very severe punishment there's the punishment and then there's the redemption mm -hmm. always it doesn't just end with israel permanently ruined um uh, so you 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 cut yourself off from that narrative grammar and you cut yourself off from the literal sense of the quantifier all everyone you just say it doesn't actually mean that yeah um where because you know that it applies to you know, there's this dynamic of believers, you know, in, internally inside the church, but, but I mean, it's, and that's, you know, that's not untrue, but, but again, it's like, there's the possibility of a more fractal Bible that is more interconnected. Yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, that was certainly something that came, came through to me in Jason Pratt's um, talk. 
Yeah, I think that's helpful. I'm glad you brought up that salted with by fire thing too. I never quite really understood what that meant. Um, well, we're trained to not understand it. Is what's kind of irritating about it. Like, um, yeah. like because because the evangelical description of these verses as well, it's incredibly confusing, and you can't understand what's going on. But the one thing we can be certain of is that all doesn't mean all. So, um, case closed. Or, or no, really, what it is is there. There's certain of the eternity of hell. Um, mm -hmm. And so they use that. And they're certain that some go there. So they use that as the, the so-called Archimedean point to decide everything else. But, um, I mean, you know, in, in the debate with um, uh, Turretin Fan, that was, a, that was another issue that came up. It was the question of whether Ionios always has a, a so-called durative sense that is to say, whenever Ionios is used, which is the word that's translated as eternal, it always refers to duration. Yeah, and, that, um, I, I found that extremely confusing when they're going into that. But I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think the reason is because, like I, I mentioned it before. Like I, I guess I used to just think of time very linear, linear, but now it's like it. I, I, I had to retrain my thinking to where I see it like. Uh, circular or a cycle so whenever i think of eternal now i just think of it as like a cycle like it's just a, a repetitious cycle like um right or you know so, one thing that some people say is that if you have eternal life the bible says we have eternal life now but we haven't even died yeah now, but we will die uh-huh yeah, so yeah whatever eternal life means it doesn't mean just life in the normal sense temporally um uh with with indefinite temporal extension in the sense that we understand that um yeah. so and so it can refer to the quality i mean maybe from that you should infer that eternal refers to the quality or character yeah quality. rather than to some notion of like um extension within the space-time continuum which is the ordinary understanding of time that we have which yeah these forms of experience admittedly transcend yeah, I would think of it uh, qualitative, qualitatively like you're talking about, but I like I don't. I would also think it's like expansive. Like I don't want to necessarily throw out um, time and space per se. If there's going to be a new heavens and new earth, like to me, like this is the picture I get in my head is just like this is eternal and it just keeps expanding. It keeps eternal life is something we have now, and it's like a a pattern but it just keeps uh the sphere keeps growing and it keeps uh encompassing like more and more of the cosmos sort of thing it's it the life eternal keeps pulling out into the far reaches of cosmos and in the cosmos and it's continually pulling everything back to itself at the same time and so it's uh yeah it's a, it's qualitative but it is i think quantitative in that in that way that it uh I don't know. I just don't want to throw out the quantitative side either. I'm hesitant to do that, but I think first it's qualitative and then it will manifest more and more in a time and spatial way. Um, the one thing though, like I did, I was going to mention too, is like when I, like when, like to, uh, when you reference like the revelation referencing old Testament scriptures and all that stuff, what's been helpful to me. And maybe this is some of like my friend Craig's, doing as well but whole um because he's pushed me 
even when I look at language and just like to think about how language even develops and how just a word is kind of just a a frame to encompass a thought, kind of what George McDonald talks about. But even like with all of that and all the scriptures, like if I look at something in the New Testament, I try to think, how the heck did Paul get here? Like, how did he, because he'll reference the old scripture, like the Old Testament all the time. But then it's almost like beyond that. It's like, it's philosophically sound, most of everything he says, and theologically sound. And so I'm like, how did he even come to these conclusions? Giving with like, if this is what he went off of, like you're talking about the Septuagint. It's like, how did he look at this verse in Isaiah? And he's probably reading this verse in Jeremiah and come to these conclusions of this restorative justice of god and uh it's i don't know when you just add stories to the stories you see these similarities and then you kind of have to walk away just thinking like almost like what the hell is going on here <laughs> and it just leaves you sitting with it even with jesus i try to do that i'm like what the heck is he saying like how how could a man i mean if i if I look at him and I just say, oh, he's God and just throw my hands up and say, oh, he's God, he's all knowing. And it seems unfair to all of us uh, in a way that we could even attempt to at any form of theosis or whatever. But if I'm like, if he if it was God actually born in man and so he was fully man, like Christian, he claims he's actually fully man. And how the heck did he come to these conclusions because i think it says in luke he studied scriptures and he grew in wisdom so he actually had growth in wisdom and so it's like how did christ actually come to these conclusions to put all on the line and go to the cross and it's like what did he actually see there and how was it so clear to him and so i don't know to just like kind of approach the scriptures with those questions i because they only went on the Old Testament. And so it's like, how could they read the Old Testament and and see that? And I'm like, I, I don't know. But it's all it's it's all there. That's why it frustrates me. That's probably my biggest pet peeve in all of Christianity. I asked my sister that. I was like, is there anything that where like that you where that's with me that you just see like I just get really irritated by? It. And she said the Old Testament, because I just get so annoyed when Christians will throw away the Old Testament. It's just like my biggest pet peeve because they'll just be like, oh, uh, that's that was before the cross or something. Or that was that's the law. So we don't need to look at it. And I get so mad that I think I just get mad because it happens all the time. And like the Christian circles I kind of grew up in or whatever. But yeah, sorry. That's just kind of a rant, I guess. But. But I guess I was just saying that to say that it is like when you read the book of Revelation, it is constantly referencing like not just most people will couple revelation with the book of daniel maybe a little bit of isaiah but it's referencing like it's all over the place all the, like in zechariah like you said uh it's got the four horsemen in zechariah and but it's i don't know it seems to me like revelation is pulling on like uh, i don't even know how to describe it just these crazy images that are yeah i don't know that are, that are applicable to all the scriptures Right. Sorry. So I don't know where we want to go from there. <laughs> I don't know. Um. Yeah, there were a number of things. Um. We were talking about in the 
if you wanted to get back to that you were, had mentioned eternal how they kept that it word aeonian but that's kind of i guess how it spun off and all this other stuff on my rant but well i'm trying um, to picture it in my head because i think it's relevant to what i i mean if if i'm picturing it correctly in my head it seems relevant to what i was saying that everything's expanding it pulling back into itself at the same time like god like because that's hmm. I keep, I keep harping around the same thing, but that's kind of what forgiveness does. Like it keeps reaching out, but then at the same time, it's pulling back in. Like your forgiveness extends out to to your your family member, to your neighbor, to your friend, and it keeps extending out. And But then at the same time, forgiveness is pulling back closer, as close as it can to your very core. And like, it's almost like the further it reaches, the more it pulls back to itself. Uh, if that even makes sense, I don't know. I'm trying to understand, like, is forgiveness meaningfully different than love, or is it just a more specific form of love? No, I don't think it's, I think love is probably the correct way of put it, like unconditional love um, would be the, I think, because I think forgiveness uh, demonstrates unconditional love, like while we were yet still sinners, while we were enemies of God, Christ died for us. So it's like this undeserved love because um, what does it say? It's somewhere, it's in one of the epistles. I think it says, by this, we know love. Uh, I think it's in the John. By this, we know love that while we were yet still sinners, Christ died for us or something. So it's like through this specific form of love. Yeah, First John chapter 3, verse 16. By this, we know love because he laid down his life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for his our brethren so like we know his love because he laid down his life for us in romans five, chapter five for something it says while we were yet still sinners christ died for us so i don't know that we like you have to have forgiveness to know love but i think that kind of gets maybe into the the idea of the prodigal son it's like which one knew his father's love more like the prodigal son ate the father, like ate the fatted calf, you know, it ate the, but the other son was like, why didn't I get a goat? It's so, I don't know. It just made me always think about like, what if Adam never fell? Like then what, like how, how much could you know? How much would we know love? It's, and I don't want to say like, oh, it's God's intention that man had to fall. But even Christ says, he who has forgiven much loves much because it's almost like you taste more of this, this, this love you didn't deserve. So it's like, because I'm forgiven more because I'm the chief of all the sinners, then I've, I've received, it almost feels like I've received most of his love. Like I didn't actually, but, um, so I think when I use forgiveness, I use it in that way. Um, and same thing with, Mercy. I don't. I don't know that I use mercy and forgiveness as one and the same, but they're very similar. Um, but I think mercy a lot of times, I it kind of relates to what I think it's the Old Testament word for mercy is kind of very similar to um, the Chris the what Greek Greek word for love or something like that. Like I think the Hesed, like we've mentioned before, is like loving kindnesses or something. But Mitch is here. But I don't know. I mean, that's a good question. I I guess I just often, I mean, I say forgiveness a lot, but I guess it's just because it's the the one demonstration I think of 
of undeserved love. To me, that's what the, the cross is. It's a symbol of it. What's up, man? Hey, uh, I can't really stay very long. Probably would have been better had I not interrupted the flow, but I wanted to pop in and say hi and ask if y'all made any significant discoveries amongst yourself. I mean, I'm just... Well, kind, kind of, I mean, uh, Jason is talking about forgiveness and it's kind of like, you know, it, if you if you love someone, but there aren't really any obstacles or any sacrifices you have to make, it doesn't mean as much as if, you know, there there were, and that's kind of the sense that I get, you know, of, of forgiveness. And and also what I was talking about with you about love being non-dual, which is like, which would be that the infinite and love. In, in the in the limit they're, they're the same thing and um, that means that what they share is that they're somehow their own opposite or complement against which they measure them against which they are measured or defined and that they um they're self-relativized um self-relativized yeah um yeah that's that's some um, kind of very very philosophical stuff for whatever reason i had the idea that we would be listening to that debate um and, you guys um, didn't but, listen no because jason was saying it's too technical and, and there have been some <laughs> interruptions on on my end here and no, i don't know i feel more. like the whole conversation was in some sense ill-advised because i feel like there's chaos happening around me that i should maybe be attending to no we can't um, sorry i didn't know why that's, that's why we stopped no i mean we can we can listen to more because like i said i thought it was um when i was saying it was too technical i think uh I, he lost me a little bit it's not, a lot of times that happens with apologetics for me though but i think the jason pratt guy did like i said i think he did a beautiful job of like reaching back into the old testament and it was almost like he was weaving some tapestry together and i thought it was quite quite profound how he was doing that and connecting all these different ideas well mitch you were listening right to um mm -hmm. you're listening to it yeah you listened to it um how far did you get i did finish it although i was working while i listened to it so it wasn't my best wasn't my best listen listen to the first I was episode yeah, and you know, it's I'm finding interesting, and uh, I I'm not super familiar with the universalist proof texts uh, or the um, the the infernalist proof texts. It's I was interested that they relegated themselves to those particular verses. What is but, uh, in, I guess that was a good way to structure the. It infernalist thing. is that just another phrase for annihilationist? I got it no, from Cal. Well, just just means what? hell is. <laughs> it's been making me laugh. What? What? It just means hell is. Just means hell. Okay. Yeah. One question <laughs> I had here. So one thing, because I was also listening to some other of your podcasts, Cal, where you're talking about things. And one one question that popped into my head too, where you're talking about even uh, the different forms of justice and restorative justice and retributive justice. And the, the thought that came into my mind is that like, like what's what's the point in punishment? Like it kind of makes me think of that verse where the angels say, "What is man that you're mindful of him?" 
like to me uh what does it say in hebrews like he who isn't chastened isn't is of god so it's like what the point of punishment is to bring is for correction so it would be even if it's retributive it would be restorative right otherwise you would just leave someone in the outer darkness and let them deal with themselves unless like, it's like uh, we have we have an idea or we have a formulation of capital punishment right like this is this is so severe that you're no longer allowed to exist you know participate you're out of the story yeah, you're done it's okay, a good point I keep thinking about the non-dual thing uh, since yesterday, and I think, although there might not be an opposite to love, it's <clears throat> there are there are things that you can do or, or modes of being that you can be in which which excludes you from participating in love or or participating with God, right? For sure, right? No, that's I mean where I mean, when that's you can possibly distinguish between opposite and absence um like when people say that fear is the opposite of love what i always feel is like fear is it, it means that something that you love is threatened um now maybe that if you had greater love you could cast out that fear but um it to me fear is like small love and then love is like an ex is a more expansive love, and so in that way, it's like love does not to me have a clear opposite, but it, um, but maybe you would just say less loving and more loving. I don't know. Hmm. It's like there's love for a more superficial level of your identity, and then there's love that's rooted in a deeper or more integrated level of one's identity, where one recognizes one's connectedness with uh, people and things with which one had not uh, appreciated one's uh, connectedness before. Um, I mean, I don't know, you know, I'm not, not really. I have a question. Is love always self-sacrificial? True yeah. love, it would be, okay. Yeah, 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 because, because the infinite only has itself to sacrifice. Ooh, that's an interesting point. I haven't heard it put that way before. Yeah. Because the pattern of reality would be continually dying to oneself to find one's true self at a at a at a mm -hmm. deeper or higher level of reality in a in a state of greater integration with the other. Yeah. You die you, you sacrifice your false self to find your true self in the other. And so like yeah. when you're in hell, you're regarding the loss of the lesser good. But when you willingly go to Calvary, it's because you can see um, some some greater good, um, and that that um, it's like you you see your you see you see your true identity, for which you're willing to to give your life, because you're understanding that your true identity is greater than just the 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 self that you are on the surface this kind of socially constructed persona that is delineated <clears throat> off of its surroundings and the other person with whom it exists the other people with whom it exists in relationship but like understanding the deeper 
or truer level of one's identity as constituted by all the relationships that that, that self actually yeah. um, mm -hmm. interacts with. Um, I don't know. I mean, this is this is spitballing, and I'm and I'm not really knocking it out of the park tonight. Um, but um, the more and more I think about it, the more I do think about Christopher Lane's cognitive theoretic model of the universe that says that ultimate reality in which we live and move and have our being and in, in whose image we are um, and, and, and of whose nature we, we are, we are, we are holographic reflections. We have the same nature. Um, it, in us, everything is relativized to us like we were like we are our own complete reality. Um, you know, we're beginningless to ourselves. We don't have the experience of having come into being. We're endless to ourselves. We would never have the experience of ending. And to us, all the only thing that we experience, to, to us, the only thing that's real is what we experience. And to us, everybody that we know as other than ourselves is only in our own consciousness so that one can always ask, well, what if it was all a dream? Um, you know, what if none of this was was really real? Because I wouldn't know the difference between the case in which only I existed and the case in which everybody else somehow had this existence that was independent of my own experience kind of thing. So so that, that is, it's a way of saying that we are, we are each an ultimate reality unto ourselves. We're all self-relativized in the way that, that the infinite God is. Um, and that makes me recall the, the formulation of a classical theological idea, namely divine simplicity. The formulation of that idea that says that, that everything that is in God is God. And so, um, um, it's like love, it, love is a, Christopher Langan said that ultimate reality is a self-configuring, self-processing language that is to say it's 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 some kind of um linguistic process um that is its own starting point and ending point and each one of its grammatical but every 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 expression in that language follows this grammar of self-identification every every turn of phrase in that language every utterance in that language conforms to the grammar of like some kind of identifying self with some value is how we experience it but i really wonder whether what it what is happening it's like the self is identifying with some complement union with which yields the infinite because if you have x and not x you have what is simple you have what is but has no internal opposition or internal division and you have um you have the unlimited um and you know that's what i kind of said better in, in other other conversations when i was talking about the idea of the image of god and what we pursue as the good um over some kind of like dialectical horizon um, um, yeah, I mean, like, I, I increasingly have the sense that, that everything is, that, 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 that 
ultimate reality is is love and everything conforms like as a linguistic expression you would say it conforms to the grammar of love or something like this i'm still not articulating it well um, um but it's, it sounds very much like what people in ndes talk about which is really which is what's really trippy about it. And it's the last thing I expected to realize as someone who spent so many years as a materialist atheist. I truly never thought I expected I would ever get out of that, that way of seeing things. And then it, to realize that reality is like deeply metaphysical and that on some level, it's actually just love through and through. It's a very strange, well, I mean, to me, it's, it's, a, it's still a spellbinding idea, but also, Goodness. It also leads to the implication that love is mysterious and it's not quite what you think it is. It's something that's continually transcending whatever limited categories you have to understand it. Mm. But you do get so much language that, that separates God from other things, like uh, putting put setting him apart as another. And you do have this language that that separates some things from love so it isn't as though <sighs> i don't know i i guess i really need to revisit the the god is love bit but so, what do you do with all of the separation language that what okay here's and I, I feel like i just like i, I don't know i i feel like i've already maybe said this before so tell me if like stop me if i have but to me the one thing that's separating is the it's the forgiveness factor right because well i don't even mean well, i don't even mean separation as punishment i just mean articulating some things as other than god articulating yeah. some things as is not uh able to coexist with love yeah uh, which which is the and his like, forgiveness conforms it, everything back to love yeah but if, if uh yeah but forgiveness is is is, is self-sacrificial like you you have to every 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 turn of reality is self-sacrificial though it's like what you said it's like what is the, what is the awful terrible meaning of this text and let it let it be as as awful as it will the question is what does love do to it so there's it's just something about the action of mind that is, I say, I don't have the language for this, um, self-transcendent, self-transcending in every, in every one of its movements. And the nature of each movement, it, it conforms to that grammar that you would call love. Um, and it is love. It's an act of love. The separation from God. Well, anyway, I'm sorry. I cut off Jason. That's, that's not good. No, go ahead. I'm listening. Listen. The separation from so, God. Yeah, I mean, um, you ask, is it what can it mean to be separated from God? One has this idea of what the sort of God understood at least in one sense or from one vantage point as the global perspective of ultimate reality that has a positive will or highest will, an executive will, if you like. And there is what it permits, but then there is also what it wills. 
even over the longest of time frames in positive terms. Um, so that yes, whatever happens is allowed by God, but it doesn't necessarily reflect his purposes over the over the longest of time frames or over over eternity, you would say. And um it's not that it's not the deep pattern of God, it's actually just reflective of what God is not. So to be separated from God is 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 to be far from him, very out of sync in, in terms of his positive will. And then, then to be with God the, the way that Jesus was and he prayed for us to be, is you die to yourself, as is the price, as is the necessary price of, of being being in synchrony with that positive will, but it's a very steep price. But in that paying that price, you also discover your true identity. Because mm -hmm. in seeking... And seeking mm -hmm. some will other than his, is, there's only perishing, you know, and and that's that's what is the spiritual death is, is where you you're allowed to get what you were you were seeking, because it's like that evil is not evil just because because God is going to punish you for it if you seek it. It's actually evil because it's against the pattern of his nature and by extension your nature because it's in his image. Yeah. you're in his image mm -hmm. and, and um, sorry go ahead no no, no i was just saying that like i was just reiterating you it's against the pattern it, but it's also there's against a the pattern, pattern of there's everything a pattern, there's a pattern of the infinite and there's a characteristic or essential movement of consciousness which is agopic and expansive yeah uh -huh. and 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 um On one level, it has a complement or negation, but on another level, it can never be stopped. Just like it says in the Bible, like um, it says, "You meant it, you meant it for evil, but He meant it for good." Mm -hmm. um, the devil competes with God, but God doesn't compete with anyone. There's no way. That, gosh, there's so many weird ways I could go with it. The Kabbalists said that only that on the primary level of, of reality. Um, only God exists um, on on the primary level of reality. It's like only God's will is ever done. And um, goodness there's there's nothing you can do that would ever subvert his his ends because it's already unfolded into his plans. Um, Sounds like universalism. <laughs> yeah, well, of course we have to does, consider but... that. Uh... His ends, um, I mean, they're his ends, right? And so we have to consider that these these breaches of pattern uh, might be somewhere in the narrative that he's he's put forth. But his end, his end is the only option. Like that's that's what I can. That's where keep... the Calvinists are right, basically. Well, but yeah. the reason the reason I can't. Uh, this is what I this is what I run into sometimes with you, Mitch. When we go have our go back and forths, is I walk away feeling like almost hopeless in a sense sometimes because it's just uh, uh, if there's not reconciliation for all, I don't see how there's reconciliation for me um, because it is a pattern of oh gosh, what am I even getting at? I don't know the right way to say it. Um, I was listening he, to he, this spoke, dude. He, he spoke the end from the beginning, right? So it's like there's there's one pattern that gives life and it's like this is your only option 
this is this is my only option so if there is no universalism for me it's like i don't have another option my hope goes out the window because it's like i um if adam isn't redeemed then then i'm i'm a part of adam too so if hitler's not ultimately somehow saved then i'm a worse sinner than him like it's if he if god can't if god if i'm the uttermost and god saved me then i'm like i don't know i i lose hope you know so it's like the pattern of if love is self-sacrificial and love is the creating force of the world then love allows allows um things to have its own identity allows things to have its own free will which allows for things so we to can choose love them it. yeah so then but then the, in turn those things have the choice to be That's unloving transcendent action of, yeah of, right and, and so when you have but then then when you allow something to exist you basically have to give it the free will to choose itself so then it can be unloving it can choose the opposite of love and go against god's will but then it's like that even in that allowing it to have its own identity how far can it go it's other than it's, god and then so god can love it as 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 to, yeah you know, and then and then it's through that yeah, exactly and that creates the forgiveness like it it seems to me like it's all just in this this Dang. genesis this genesis Jason, pattern man. that just it's the genesis pattern that like just keeps i think peugeot says the same thing it's almost like this this little narrative in the first few chapters of genesis just keeps repeating and repeating on larger scales and it's that's the, just like the beginning of um uh, the lord of the rings right where the the um melkor is playing out of tune but rather than stopping the orchestra god just improvises around it right something um, yeah something to that effect yeah and, yeah and that makes it even more beautiful despite melkor you know like um trying to do his own tune that would mess everything up like yeah 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 so like like if if we say like even looking at hitler if we say how much should he be punished or should he be annihilated like what if we just said like how much should he be forgiven and then it's like then that's you could say that sucks for everybody he did wrong but it's like if he actually had an awareness of what he did and actually came to repentance he would it would suck more for him like if he, he if he if he came to an awareness of what he did the psychological fallout of that would destroy him because yeah. there's so much more damage that you can inflict on other people than you can bear yourself if you have to experience it all at once or in the aggregate. It would only be through the continual revival or resurrection afforded by his victim's forgiveness that he would be able to even experience the totality of what he did. Only if they were continually forgiving him and resurrecting him would he be able to experience the totality of what he inflicted on everybody else yeah and then in coming to realize the magnitude of the evil that he did he would also realize his interconnectedness and true identity with the victims of his evil it would like be two ends of the same process almost or two sides of the same yeah 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 and that's i think what the what love does yeah it's like it's it somehow reconciles you and almost torments you at the same time or something like that i don't know it's the love your enemy and you're heaping coals of fire on his head. Like it's like, especially when he comes to awareness of it, it's like he, he sees you can't, himself. You can't, you can't behave out of sync with that telos because you're in God's image and God is love. So in some level, love is what you are. Yeah. That love, yeah. love is, is a, is a predicate is what it is. And then there's a compliment. And then in the next move, it goes and identifies with its other. 
this that it just is the dialectic basically um this kind of self-transcendent reflexive process yeah. it's the pattern of reality the pattern of reality is actually is, is love yeah see so to me says, god is love go ahead no i was just gonna say yeah like like you said and to me if if torment ceased to exist then then you might get to a point where you'd say you're out of connection with god when you're just because i would think if there's okay i could, i guess i can share a story this kind of because you you mentioned something cal about like even talking about um repentance and even people being in hell like if they're they're not truly repentant till they get to this point so maybe god allows them to suffer even longer in hell and there's a, a a quote from lilith that sherry quotes sometimes where mara says uh the little kids i think are asking mara are you gonna are you gonna hurt lilith and she says yes and she says and they're like how much and they're like if i and she says if i don't hurt her enough i'll have to do it all over again or something like that and so yeah right 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 well yeah. it's exactly because because um because the idea was there is going to be to mit to what mitch was saying earlier in your last conversation with multiversal health there is a description of like you're going to be in hell and there's not going to be any option of repentance and the yeah. reason why is you're going to be so cut off from your true ident identity and disintegrated from yourself that when you think you're repenting sincerely you aren't actually and if god let you go you would trade off you would go and and resume your resume injuring your own soul in the way that you've always been doing so out of mercy god has to has to not answer your prayers and leave you he has to remand you over to the accuser until you experience until you pay the last penny yeah and experience the intrinsic consequences of your sin um because um that's that's what the it's the unforgivable sin right if you're if you're still guilty of the unforgivable of unforgivable sin which is like well, you said it's unforgiveness, and I, 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 you could also say it's what unrepentance. Yeah, which I would mean that, unforgivable yeah. sin. The only thing that's that that you can't repent over is unrepentance itself, which mm -hmm. yeah. makes it a kind of almost tautology. But I am also certain, or or weirdly intrigued by the possibility, I should say, that that unrepentance and unforgiveness are they're, they're like almost the same thing, if not the same thing. That's really interesting. So, you say that, and, yeah 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 and so the thing is if you're guilty of the unforgivable sin it's like the one who could commute your sentence you haven't recognized him as a judge he has no option except to make you experience the consequences of your sin since you won't abandon it willingly so he has to make you he has to make you experiences the consequence experience the consequences uh, uh unwillingly and that that's going to be a kind of spiritual death that is worse than you know you would choose physical destruction every time to avoid that like hitler did like hitler committed suicide rather than experience like the 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 fallout of what he did yeah and there's a spiritual death that is like that's what's described in um in um uh, lilith you know and i had two quotations there that and they, they very interesting oh no hold on oh i think i lost you uh you know god in the person of jesus christ uh, who is um love and who reveals his father and the love that he um uh enacts or acts out so um oh i'm sorry go ahead no no sorry I, my computer glitched up right when you were mentioned lilith so i didn't know what i might have missed oh well i was gonna just read some quotes from lilith um 
um, she was in the, and I was going to say that they, they weirdly reflect the kind of dialectical nature of experience that I was talking about. Um, she was in the outer darkness, be present with her who was in it. We were not in the outer darkness. Had we been, we could not have been with her. We should have been timelessly, spacelessly, absolutely apart, which instant interestingly is how people who have near-death experiences of hell always describe hell as like you know other people are there but there, there's just this infinite distance between you and everyone else um the darkness knows neither the light nor itself and only the light knows itself and the darkness also so you don't know yourself but uh, because you because you're identifying with the false self but god knows who you truly are and he's with you even as you feel yourself farthest from him um uh none but god hates evil and understands it and then there was another quote which is it was not merely that life had ceased in her but that she was consciously a dead thing she had killed her life and was dead and knew it so it's the paradox of like somehow being able to experience your own death which it's not possible but but by the weird dialectical logic of the infinite it is possible um, and that's what spiritual death is. Uh, she must death it forever and ever. She had tried her hardest to unmake herself. She could not. Why does she want to unmake herself? She wants to not exist so she doesn't have to experience the fact of her non-existence, which is like totally strange and involved. Um, she was a dead life. She could not cease. She must be. She yeah it's like she yeah in her face I saw and read beyond its misery saw in its dismay that the dismay behind it was more than it could manifest it sent out a livid gloom the light that was in her was darkness and after its kind it shone that's recalling uh, Paradise Laws of John Milton um, from those flames no light but rather darkness visible and so and by way of um, commentary on it I wrote existence is self identification via valuation. And living death is having your self-conception be continually refuted by the truth of what you actually exist as, by the truth of what actually is. That is the continual remembering and reliving of the loss of one's most valued value or idol in the case of a false god. So imagine if you just like you had the PTSD of continually reliving um, some negative experience or, you know, like continually waking up to like grief is like always missing a a step on on stairs, right? Because because it's like you're so used to the the loved one existing, and then you're you're continually re-experiencing their loss as though it were brand new, just over and over again in, in total incomprehension. You have an identity of yourself that is that that is continually refuted by the actual reality of existence, which on another level is yourself. And so it's it it you know to you I mean um, you aren't the, the the only thing that exists but to you you are, and and so um, it's just it's some it's some weird thing like this. Um, uh, and um, yeah, and so anyway, it's a thing where you think your repentance is genuine, but God knows that it's false. So out of mercy, He has to not answer your prayers because if He did, then you would just go resume injuring your soul the same way that you would so it's true that hell there's no um there's no repentance in hell 
And it's true that hell is eternal, but it's true. The eternal does refer to the quality just in the way that we have eternal life right now, despite uh, uh, the fact that we haven't yet died and the fact that we will in fact die, uh, which means that on some literal level, we won't live forever. So it's like the, it's, it's really the, the heaven and the, the, the eternal, the, the eternity of eternal life and eternal uh, death or eternal hell, it has to do with um, uh, like love and not love, like being, being you know, um, you know, existing in, a, in an agopic way, which is in conformity with your true identity or existing in a, in a, in a selfish way that is um, that's just like against the grain of like God and reality and your own nature kind of thing. Anyway, um, let me let me jump off for a second. I'm so sorry. Oh, no, that, that's fine. I wanted to dig into something he mentioned, man. Because uh, I'm gonna have to jump off soon too, oh, Jason. What? But I'll stay until he gets, I'll stay oh. until he gets back. Um, okay. Um, what did you what did you what did you have in mind well he said that he was talking about repentance and i i haven't like explored the idea enough i guess i just haven't put enough attention on it but it would make sense to me but the the idea that repentance is actually selfless so the way forgiveness is selfless repentance would be selfless as well and the reason i think i want to need to think about it more is because i was getting ready to share um before we went into that like i because i've told you about it before the pain i had in my face right that yeah. nerve that nerve damage yeah that god healed me up but it was like it, it was kind of the same idea where it says in lilith like if we hurt if we don't hurt her enough we're gonna have to do it all over again i remember praying mm -hmm. for her, like healing over and over and over and it wasn't until i came to this point where it was just kind of like you really hit the end of yourself and it wasn't, it kind of like almost wasn't even about me anymore. And that's when uh, it started to change. But I kept, I've often thought about that. I'm like, you know, if God would have healed me when I first prayed for it, or if he would have healed me any sooner than he did, I don't think I would be following him right now. I think I would have got my healing like, like they did in, in the book of John. They got their bread and then they... Then they went about their day. They would go to their own house. And Jesus goes to the Mount of Olives on his own. It's like, I, I think that would have been the case if he would have healed me any sooner. And so, like, even the repentance had to be this, like, God waited till it was in its true selfless state. And I haven't necessarily thought about repentance being ultimately selfless because it seems like it's always, in my mind, it always, I guess, First, I think of it as being selfish, like you you want to save your own skin type thing. But I think it is actually that, um, what you tie the uh, if if those who are in torment, um, what's causing them to reconcile eventually is uh, is they're realizing the reality of things. Um, they're suddenly understanding, ah, hey, Jesus is Lord, and hey, my wickedness is destroying me all along. And how are they coming to this realization? Uh, for us, we 
Well, the Christian recognizes that the Spirit uh, leads them to repentance, right? It makes them aware of their of their guilt. Um, at least that's how I understand you you to become aware of your guilt, uh, and makes them uh, ashamed of their guilt and desire to turn away from their guilt. Uh, and when does this happen? And why does this happen in in the afterlife? And what is the difference between this life and the afterlife? And all these questions, I we could talk about this all night. I've I've got to hop off, unfortunately. <laughs> those are good really, questions. Oh, those are good yeah. questions. Yeah. I'll, you guys. I'll, I'll, I'll listen to y'all. All, all right. right, man. Thanks for hopping in. Do you got anything to say to that? I'd, those are good questions. I don't know. Um, I guess my answer would be that, like I said, the torment and the punishment seems a bit arbitrary. If there's no, if there's no end to it, if it's a, uh, like, why not just first off have annihilation then? The what was Mitch's that, first question? What were his questions? Well, because you had right before. Okay, so right before he. Uh, he hopped off when you when you stepped away. I was saying that I'm gonna have to think about this more. But the idea of repentance actually being selfless, because I've told Mitch this story before. I used to have this nerve damage in my face um, that would cause me extreme pain, and it led me kind of got to the point where I couldn't live with it anymore, and I was basically just thinking of suicide. And so I was praying for God to heal me, and uh, it wasn't. And I remember praying and praying and praying months and months and months on end, like really, really seeking God. And it wasn't until like I hit this point where it was just like constant pain. It would never go away. And I remember all I could think was like, God, where are you? Like, why have you forsaken me? And shortly after that, like I read this scripture in Isaiah and it just kind of hit me like, oh, there you are, God. And I don't know what it was, but it was that kind of the shift where it almost wasn't about me anymore. And then uh, it wasn't an instant healing or anything like it slowly went away. Then it's never come back, but it was, um, uh, but I was telling Mitch, like, it's kind of that same thing in Lilith. Like if I told him, if God would have healed me when I first prayed, or if he would have healed me any sooner than he did, I don't think I'd be following him now. Like, I think I would have got my healing and walked away and been like, Oh, thanks God. You're a cool buddy. I'll see you later when I need you next time. But it was like, he allowed it to go kind of like you were talking about this, like repentance is almost withheld and you're left in your torments to get you to this place of, of where, like where it's true, like where the repentance is like actually uh, selfless. It's like a, uh, the same way forgiveness is selfless. It's the same way love is selfless. Like the repentance is also selfless or something. And then Mitch asked, and then after I said all that, that was when he asked, like, well, what leads us to the conclusion that this, that this repentance that we come to, this conviction of the Holy Spirit, this drawing back to God actually happens in the afterlife? And when does that occur? And I guess my response would be that the, the torments of Hades, the fire of hell seems to be pointless if it's not to... Uh, because the torments of this life kind of seemed to lead me back to God. So it seemed to be like a pattern, even in the, I don't know. 
but they're good questions. Do you got a response? So um, what it makes me think of is, so it's like the condition that we exist in is one in which God has not made his existence obvious. There are many people who are able to live their lives without believing that God exists. And they're actually, in a sense, they're not suppressing the truth and unrighteousness. Um, you know, they just sincerely don't think that there's any God. I mean, but the thing is, that is not a truth which can survive, how to put it, at least something like metaphysical naturalism is not a truth that can survive death. Because you die and you realize you aren't dead. So, in other words, it's an illusion that can exist only on this side of the grave. Maybe not even an illusion. It's illusion. I'm not sure that's the right word. It's a misconception that can only exist on this side of the grave. It must be something about contact with a different level of reality where things that are not obvious here or not in your face, they, they, they are just, they are like these kind of in your face features of reality once you go to the other side. And that just means that, I don't know, see Jason Pratt was talking about it almost as like sensory deprivation. So imagine if you're sensory deprivation, maybe it would be something like this, that in, on the other side, it's like dreaming in the sense that thought creates reality and that your unconscious, it's, it's almost like the relationship between you and your unconscious mind because um, it's like, um, I don't know what you would say, you're not integrated with yourself, you fear what is in yourself. If your unconscious mind starts making certain moves, then um, uh, and 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 you and you're creating your because the mercy right now is almost that you don't create your own reality, right? Reality is not as you think. It's not the case that whatever you think in fear will manifest in reality, or that reality will be as dark as your heart is if your heart is dark. Um. Wow. And and but you go to the other side and it's like suddenly you're like in sensory deprivation or something where reality is a, is created according to the shape of your heart, the the heart that you cultivated when you were when you were living. Is that whoever does violence to others does violence to himself, and and is also in a state of great internal chaos and division and disintegration. Even if it's just the disintegration of being cut off from oneself. And that's why psychopaths, they always they say, that, I don't feel anything. Um, it's because they're not in touch with their whole being. Um, uh, so it's like, when you go to the other side, it's like, it's like a different level of reality. Something about it, just like, if you're not, if you're not, um, if you're not on this level of the game anymore, something about so just something in the in the very nature of that jumper transformation requires you to have to deal with um, the fallout of being who you are, the spiritual fallout. It's not 
Because in this life, it doesn't just manifest. You can be a horrible person and reality is not just going to slap you in the face for it. You know, things will be really nice around you. But on the other side, for whatever reason, it's like reality is going to mirror how you are. Because the nature of, we are co-creators like God and we are co-creators with God. We're in the, his image as creators. And so it's like um, reality is created according to our thoughts and our speech. Um, the interesting thing about Langan, it's like he's saying that everything that you do is an act of communication. And that to be in the image of God is to be is, is to be one that can that can change reality by by communicating. And it's like Jesus said, like evil man beings brings evil things out of his evil treasure, the good man brings good things out of his good treasure. And at some level, it's like you can't even really control it. It's just who you are. You're just gonna you're just going to start, you're just going to be a pattern that's just going to pattern in its characteristic way. Um, and, um, but then the thing is, you might not even know how terrible it is, even for yourself, that you are the way you are. You're just so cut off from yourself. Um, so it's something like this that I would guess. So when... I love that answer, but then in that kind of picture of the afterlife, I've kind of thought something similar, but not in that clear of terms or that profound, but that it's kind of like, yeah, going to sleep. Um, so you, you get lost in a, some sort of hellish nightmare because like we kind of practice that at night. Every night you kind of practice death in a way. You go to, you go lay down and die at night and wake up and you go somewhere, your consciousness goes somewhere, like you said, creates this reality. But then I guess, when does that, with Mitch's question is like, what gives me the, uh, even the idea that I could wake from that if I actually die in, in, a, in a state with a resentful heart and I go into this space where I'm lost in this because, hell. Because cause, cause, cause the, the value the valuability, the value of that false value is an illusion. So it would be one thing if like, if you got, if you got what? The rich man in Lazarus, the rich man goes down to Hades. He said, why? Because he can't be wealthy anymore. What if he was wealthy, he would be happy forever. And God is just weird because he won't let people have what will actually make them happy. And he'll just punish you by, by holding it away from you, even though if you could get it, it would really make you happy. It's not really what it is. So the thing is, it's an illusion. If an illusion could last forever, what would distinguish it from the truth? Only the truth is eternal. Only the truth does not break. Which means, by implication, if what you serve is an illusion, if what you serve is a false god, it must at some time or other break. And that's why that's why that's that's why God says you have to repent. You have to repent now, because if you go all the way to rock bottom, so to speak, it's going to be a thousand times uglier. So I would say that 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 pain necessarily runs its course, because what is wrong is, in some sense, objectively wrong. Is not wrong just because God decided he, want, he will punish you for pursuing it. It's wrong because it's intrinsically wrong for you. 
and God is trying to save you from it. It's two very different conceptions of God. One is the conception that a, a toddler has of his parent that he doesn't understand why his parent doesn't let him touch the hot stove. The other is something more mature, like a teenager where in the back of his mind he understands that his parent is at least trying to um, you know, do what is in his own good. Yeah. And um, so the question is, what is God, who is God and what is his relationship to us? Is he again somebody who's just punishing us um, uh, for wanting something that if we could get it, it would actually make us happy? Yeah. Um, so, so that's 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 I think that's the very significant question that is at issue. Mm -hmm. So even in the rich man and Lazarus, it's not like I mean he's asking for water to cool his tongue. It's not like he's asking the right question the right repentant question i guess yeah well he says send lazarus down to cool my tongue he's yeah. not saying send lazarus down so i can apologize to him he's, he's still presuming that lazarus is his servant so the pain that he's experiencing is the, is the pain of separation from what he's still addicted to yeah that's a good this point is like one yeah. of the levels of yeah because a truly repentant person would not even care about cooling his tongue at that point they would want the reconciliation between him and lazarus yeah what was me i am undone type of response yeah that's really good the idea would be somehow that is it the case that what what he experiences as a parched tongue is in fact the burning of his own conscience but misidentified probably like there's a verse in isaiah that stood out to me too and it's it's extremely like poetically horrifying let me see if i can find it i, I love it man but uh ah where is it it's the one that talks about tofit and it's talking about, and from what I understand, I don't know all of my history, but I thought Tophet is like this, uh, the place where they would like burn all the trash or something. Like it was kind of like an image of hell. Oh, here it is. Isaiah chapter 30, verse 33. For Tophet was established of old. Yes, for the king it is prepared. He has made it deep and large. Its pyre, it's, wait, its pyre is fire with much wood. The breath of the Lord, like a stream of brimstone, kindles it. So it's like it's God who actually is the breath of God that is actually kindling the fires of this hell. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And so God is the consuming fire. Or it, there's also the line from T.S. Eliot, one of the four quartets. Our only hope or else to spare lies in the choice of pyre or pyre to be redeemed from fire by fire. That's good yeah that's good yeah dude you want to go down like some kind of amazing like trip just just um read that read the four quartets the four quartets yeah by t.s Eliot. okay some dark stuff in there okay um, where he talks about um it's like it's like he talk, talks about waiting without hope in the darkness of god he says, wait without hope. Hope would be hope for the wrong thing. Just, just talking about the experience of your sufferings because you're an addict in withdrawal. 
Mm-hmm. What yeah. it is. Yeah. And that's that's freaking crazy because it's the, the inversion where it's like what seems like life to you is death and what seems like death to you is life. Mm-hmm. And everyone who's suffering and is out of the will. Well, I see that's the thing. I don't know if there's some level of suffering which is necessary, even if you're fully in conformity with the will of the Father. You know, Jesus suffered despite being fully uh, in conformity to that will. And yet it also says he was perfected by what he suffered. So it's uh, very difficult to understand. I mean, I think, I think the suffering, I think that would be in full will with the Father is something like forgiveness, though, because it's like, it's, it's love. He had a, uh, it's like, Jesus says, take my yoke upon me. My burden is easy and my yoke is light. And then it's like, he says that, but then you think about love. It's like, and then he says, take up your cross and follow me. Like give your life. Like, I think the suffering is love is ultimately completely self-sacrificial. And so it's like, love is the lightest weight and the heaviest at the same time. It's like the heaviest burden. Cause you kind of, if you don't, you're at least willing to carry the entire world on your shoulders type thing. Yeah, that's what Paul wished himself a curse for Christ's sake. Yeah. He said to all joy. Mm, so I think that is the sufferings of Christ is like the, yeah, being in the full will of the Father is dying for the world. <laughs> and it's because that's all God dies daily over and over for us. But I guess we're, if, if everybody were in communion with that full will, I don't know that it would ever feel burdensome um, because you wouldn't necessarily have um, because forgiveness like denotes like I mean it it says there's been a transgression but if everybody was just operating in love you could have truth and mercy without necessarily having to have transgression and forgiveness you know it would just be this is these two things working together there would still be some kind of dance or contrast but it's also true that there would nonetheless there would be something there would be something see it's like some possibility like what you're describing it exists at least like as a limit and it can be approached and it can be approached more and more and it's always farther up farther in which leads to the interesting question what does it mean to even approach something that can in principle never be arrived at yeah it's like only the infinite has that property where it can be approached and yet never arrived at yeah that's why i think it's this the, the dance with truth and mercy because it's like you have the ideal right which is the truth which we is another the, way of saying that only love is the truly inexhaustible value and that's why mm-hmm. anything yeah. that isn't a copy has to break at some point which is to say it will be arrived at it will be discovered to be finite only yeah. love itself is that self-transcendent pattern that that gives itself uh-huh. you know, that dies so that it can be resurrected as something greater than it was before. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm sorry, but I did. No, no. I think that's I think that's exactly it. Because I think I think love is like exactly what I was saying. It's like truth and mercy. When truth and mercy are married together, because it's like like if you have the divine image of love or Christ or God, whatever we're aiming towards. It's like, it has to, that's the truth, but it has to be married with mercy as well. Cause it has to kind of give of itself because like I could, we could just say, I was using this example the other day. I don't can't remember. It wasn't even in this context at all, but we were talking, we were talking about models or something with my sister. And I was saying, so like, if my highest aim is to look like we brought up Chris Hemsworth or something from Thor, it's like, 
we could say that's the man that's the ideal man physical specimen it's like well then if i don't look exactly like him like if it's truth and all truth if i don't look exactly like him then i'm never going to be a man like i'm never going to come into that image but it's like it has to that truth that model image has to also have some mercy that way it allows every other man their individuality and it's like you still have this higher aim so like if god is love like you just say god is love it's like it's still like has to be on the throne of mercy because i'm never gonna necessarily be as loving as god like he's okay, gonna okay, be like okay okay yeah. so love is the only value that you can deviate from it and yeah i almost had it so it's like so you can uh what the way i put it this was where i said that really bad statement where i said i don't necessarily care who your god is because i was saying like, love is love is the only value that, that that can simultaneously be approached and also permit deviation from it yeah yeah it permits your your individuality like um when you were talking to sam that's what he said the polar bear he said you have one polar bear like this oh, yeah. this, uh, this ideal polar Damn. bear and it's like but so the ideal polar bear is the true polar bear it's the infinite one but it's still sitting it's encompassed in mercy or something or something like love so it allows all the other polar bears to exist and there's still polar bears but they all have their individuality and they're never necessarily going to attain to that heavenly ideal polar bear but it's like but the ideal polar bear is constantly dying of itself to allow them to exist and allowing variation and still That's including trippy. them because yeah. because because if you talk about the form of the polar bear it's like you're never going to have enough instances where if you abstract them you get the form or conversely um yeah i mean basically there's no number of polar bears you can add where you would that's it it's like we've 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 gotten enough we've gotten a large enough sample size we've gotten enough examples that it's like now we can ab truly abstract the the true form of the polar bear yeah and so yeah. what that means is that because i did write it somewhere um i wrote um uh, Man, what the? Did I, did I write some stuff about? Man, I'm sorry. Never mind. No, no, it's fine. So you could kind of, we could kind of use the same same example for man and say something like King David is the ideal. Uh, king or something well i mean we would say jesus of course you know but jesus is uh constantly he's sitting on mary's lap like you pointed out he's sitting oh, on yeah, this yeah, yeah. mercy seat yeah yeah, so truth, truth, yeah, yeah yeah truth truth on the mercy seat but well, the seat of judge the seat of mercy is the seat of judgment the seat of yeah. judgment is the seat of mercy there's no just there's no opposition what i said was that the forms upon approach are are themselves seen to be formless so you approach the form and you realize the form doesn't have a form the form of the polar bear is also yeah is, is it okay right and so there's thus in the limit only one form which is the form of formlessness that's interesting because it doesn't even say that in exodus god says i i have no form or something like like you didn't see my form you approached me and yeah. you saw you saw no form yeah that's yeah. really fascinating yeah and so i think that's that's getting at the idea of love is that's what love is is it's a you're 
because even even your own son like he's never going to be exactly like you so but he is in your image but what holds him in your image is something like this the fact that you're constantly giving of yourself and forgiving him and you're your your standard yeah. for yourself like you don't you don't make him be a robot completely like you it's like he's growing up yeah, as best you're trying that, to that, train that him. parents parents they want their child to just be exactly like them and live up to some ideal you know and living up to them but that's not you're not loving your child as they are you're loving them only as far as they live up as only as far as they approximate something which is not who they are kind of thing yeah and yeah that's very difficult to do though as a parent you discover that's the weird thing is that so the 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 unfairness of those expectations is so obvious to shall we say an impartial observer but yet when you become a parent it becomes so difficult to not do that mm -hmm. um but um but um uh, you know i mean the, the gosh it's so weird that that I I think that that to be an atheist is is to be spiritually autistic, and so like that that whole that whole dimension I never thought it would exist that dimension of relating to God like the ultimate generalization of theory of mind. Say so you enter into relationship with the mind of minds, um, that is somehow weirdly at once both mind itself and also a mind because it's the infinite um and um um yeah i never i never thought that i would i just sincerely never expected ever to believe in god again and it's like 16 years that it was like that and um um that and and so um makes me wonder because if you take christianity seriously what it's saying is that death is the condition almost of more abundant life and that disintegration is a condition for a greater reintegration so on some level you could say well cal you're just really dumb and slow and it just took you forever to realize what other people who are much more intuitive get more naturally but the thing is that Somehow being in such a defined um, and conscious form of atheism made, made the, made, has made the spirituality um, incomparably more rich, I think. Well, certainly than what it used to be. Yeah. Um, and and um, no, I mean, I'm just, I'm just constantly tripping on the fact of God's existence on, on, on some level. Um, which I imagine God must be too, which is which is to say that like God is an inexhaustible mystery even to himself. You know, that that he's always he's always in wonder at his own existence, kind of thing. I'm I'm weirdly almost certain of that. <laughs> that that kind of almost makes sense in form of creation, in the way you would think about a parent with their child, even. Yeah. Because 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 yeah, like this guy that Luke Thompson likes is Peter Rollins and talks about God as the what self-divided self-divided God. He's the God who's not at one with himself. Um and is the God who lacks and doesn't lack the lack. 
And so he, there's an otherness in God's self with which God is not at one. And I would say creation and us, we are the other with whom God is not at one, just in the way that in your consciousness, you have yourself and you have all the otherness that is not you and all the other people. And yet, from your own perspective, at least, um, they all reside within your own consciousness. And when you get to the level of reality on which you know God is a unified consciousness, outside that consciousness, there truly is no other. All the otherness that exists exists within himself as and 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 it is into that otherness that he continually expands through agape he's continually dying to himself and identifying with that otherness yeah. as otherness. yeah, yeah. And, but, and so no go ahead go ahead no oh i was just gonna say that i don't kind of going back to what you said i don't think you're slow at all i think that that's I don't think, I mean, I... Well, slow uh, from the standpoint of, like, compared to Sherry Souter, something like that. Oh, yeah, maybe she's, she's a, yeah. Yeah, because she seems she seems to just at least very intuitively pick up on these or, things. Or Luke, or Luke, for that matter. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, Luke Luke as well. Yeah, because I'm, I'm right with you. Like, I grew up and I don't, I mean, I grew up in church even, and I don't think I ever understood even the concept of, of like you said, death being the necessarily being the door to life, or disintegration being the door to proper integration, and all this thing. Like I just didn't, and I think a lot of people. It see the weird thing is like I think most Christians I know personally probably don't un, understand it on an intellectual level. Like I don't think they could explain it, but I think they live it. And and I. I, th I do think they live it. And I think if you asked them to explain it, they would probably have no idea what we're talking about right now. But they, but I think they would, they know that, they know at least intuitively or somewhere inside that that's how it works. It, but that's why Luke gets super frustrated with people because he expects them to know it. I assume they don't know it. But, you know, I'm not intuitive. Yeah, yeah. Did I used to know it? I mean not consciously but if you're identifying only with that kind of conscious surface self that you have that's a kind of identification with one's false self it just leads to some paradox it is a paradox yeah it's weird yeah it's a hard thing to grasp with your mind though it's a hard thing for people to understand and the reason i think they don't I mean, I guess you can tell, you can just watch people and tell when they know it or they don't know it or when they're acting it because it's just like someone's being selfish. If you have Christians being selfish, which I guess we do see a lot, then they're really not living it. But to some there degree- There's some Christians that there's such a Pharisee that you just amazed that they can't even see it for yeah. themselves. Like it was so obvious that it must be obvious even to themselves. Like you don't, you wonder. And that's, I mean, so maybe that's what how Luke feels. Mm -hmm. where he's like he's like are you guys even serious like how do you not see yeah so yeah it's like but ironically but it's like if you're so intuitive why can't you just intuit the fact that some people don't have intuition kind of thing like 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 um yeah, I don't know. It's 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 kind of it's it's just kind of a strange thing. 
like if it would be analogous to like if you're so if someone is so empathetic that means they can't actually understand the viewpoint of someone who lacks empathy um and um you know that's why we um that's why there's a lot of people that are we we consider them just monsters and and um augustine said that even monsters are divine creatures yeah yeah Mm -hmm. They also have their place in the providential order of nature. And um, and uh, anyway, so like, I don't know, that's, that's, that's very kind of divergent. Because my no, problem see. is I definitely will think my natural tendency is to move laterally and go on to unrelated things. And that, that really what binds them exists at a level of abstraction that's off, it's so high that I can't even really articulate it or if i could it would have to be very very focused and put together to do that um so yeah that's ADD or something <laughs> no i think it's good i need to talk to luke more too i haven't had enough conversations with him but i would imagine he probably gets mostly frustrated with uh teachers um i don't know that don't see it the people that are claiming yeah. to see that claim to see that don't see i think that's probably what because that i think frustrates me yeah the most. i think that's what's frustrating yeah because people that will get up behind the pulpit and be like see this is the way it is and it's like no you don't see yeah the ones that are blind and claiming to see that's probably the most frustrating yeah or like mm. you said even people that with that are empathetic that uh that lack empathy because they're just the, so the, the reason again, the reason why is because they're so close mm. so yeah. close to being what they should be that's why that's why luke says that yeah. price and anti-price are a hair's breadth yeah 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 and, because it's and, the yeah it's the it's the truth without the mercy it's you're getting so close to your ideal and then you're excluding everybody that's not fitting the ideal that you are it's like the when the truth loses the mercy or something yeah and the, the the antichrist is just yeah it's interesting how like even in the scripture like you have jerusalem well, see, yeah and, and then it just and like that it turns jerusalem just turns into babylon because it's like how how do you, how do you think that that you can that you that your native way of approaching these concepts is to see truth some dynamic between truth and nurse, uh, mercy embodied in all these abstract images like that's so foreign to me i don't understand how you think like that wait sorry can you repeat the question like the it just the, the way that you you put ideas together just makes me wonder how it how do you think oh because there's not a form of thought with which i can um well, empathize or identify i don't I, understand I think I started putting when I say truth, I think I've started putting like that as almost like the ideal. Like, so that's why I say like, it, I think it could be different for everybody. Like, I don't necessarily put it as honesty. Like I could, I could, I could say that. Like the, I'm just the saying, I don't truth. understand how you see like this dynamic, this dynamic between truth and mercy in so many different like kind of situations. Oh. I don't know what you're seeing that you can see it in so many different situations like that. Because you're treating like these things like that are abstract concepts, like you're almost like personifying them or something. Yeah, maybe I am. I don't know. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'll have to think about that more. Maybe I can. I do need to think about it more because I guess if it's complicated, I need to find better ways to 
explain it. Um, no, I think you're explaining it well. I don't, see, I don't know if you're succeeding. No, I don't think you explain it as well as you could. Yeah, like if so. You do you want me to could explain things precisely? Then you would think differently, and do you wouldn't you... have those thoughts to begin with. Should I stick with the empathy example, like we were talking about? Maybe. No, you should stick with doing what you're doing. I'm, I'm just <laughs> okay. saying that that um, it is it's very interesting to me the way that you would put ideas together. All right. Okay. Yeah, I'm not sure. I don't know how to. Yeah, I don't. I, I don't know how I do. It. I mean, because the, the 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 values that you're returning, the results that you're getting are, they're valid. They make sense at least when they're explained or contextualized sufficiently. But I don't understand what is what what process or algorithm is 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 getting those values. It's a black box. I don't know. I I guess maybe. Um, I'm not even sure I fully understand the question. Like the. Like, are you asking how the how I see truth and mercy as a pattern? How that's just kind of mapping onto things like crazy? yeah, I'm wondering how you see it in so many different situations because that, that you natively, continually, you keep returning to these concepts mm -hmm. to explain various different dynamics. Yeah, and and okay. for me, it's like I don't understand. For me, the move would it would have to be the other way. You would have to use the, the these various concepts to illustrate, you know. You know abstractions like like uh, truth and mercy but you're beginning with the abstractions and you're you're somehow like if you i guess the way i'm i kind of maybe put it together in my head like yeah, i could have a kingdom so you can have the kingdom of god or you can have uh, and you can have any kingdom like uh, we don't even have yeah, to put this, it abstract it's funny funny to me that you start like that like because you could have a kingdom it's like what, why is there a kingdom why, why, why? well like, okay to, 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 but, to me it's just funny that well it's, it's just it's just intriguing that people think this way because it's like you begin already in the metaphor yeah that's true um, so and, well and, in and, in revelation all the, the kingdoms like there's all these kings right in the end and they bring their glory to god it's like how is it relatable to be in a kingdom i've never been in a kingdom <laughs> I don't know. All right. Um, you have let's I'm trying to think here. Uh what's relatable. I'm just no, thinking it's fine. It's fine. It's fine to do what you're doing. I'm just, I'm just saying it's intriguing to me to try to reverse engineer how you think because I can't do that. Uh let's see. Okay. So like if you have a I'm just thinking of like the your ideal, like your your aim, your telos. Like everybody yeah. has everybody has a hierarchy of values. So whatever your highest value is, is your king in your kingdom. Right. And mm -hmm. he just has and so he just has to be on a seat of mercy. And that's that's the God of the Bible. It's what I keep going back to. It's like because in this image, why does he have to be on the seat of mercy? Because I think that when the ideal is like Jordan Peterson says it in a different way, he says it's something like truth nestled within love. So I think that to me, that's kind of the same image I have in my head of like truth and sitting on a throne of mercy. It's and it's it's the Christ child sitting on Mary's lap. It's all the same image. It's what um, if the truth that is this king was not enthroned on love? The truth. What consequences is, would there be for this kingdom for this image? Then the fire falls from heaven. Why? Uh, because it's tyranny. Because so so like going. Back yeah, it to, is tyranny. But but in what in what sense does tyranny attract uh, fire from heaven? Because it's the 
it's a dance because that's the fire from heaven is like the image of damning everything that does not fit the ideal um the ideal is it's all truth like it's all so like like if i go back to the empathy if someone is so they think the highest value so you're saying is, you're saying because the king the king is being tyrannical so tyranny is going to come from heaven yeah because mm -hmm, it comes why from because because he's he's because the king is at the highest he's on top of the mountain does that make sense he makes the he makes the, he brings down the hammer he brings the judgment from heaven sort of thing it's all and like it poetic imagery. almost makes sense but i don't understand why because <laughs> it seems to me that if the fire comes from heaven that is not of the king's doing but you're saying somehow it is that the king doesn't do it that? seems to me that it's to presuppose that there is something higher than the king but you're saying the king is the highest in this image and so the way he behaves it's like as below so above um the king is the okay the one thing this this is kind of i feel like i'm making another jump but getting off topic here the thing that and peugeot i think says the same thing um but the one that's the king is the highest but the one that's higher than him is the martyr and that's christ because that's what that's the king that dies of himself the king that is actually sitting in mercy when mercy actually meets truth then that's that's the martyr and so that's so like if I, if I'm if my highest you're, value you're, I mean I mean I don't disagree yeah it seems to me these images must have some internal logic that enables you to think with them yeah to think in these images and, but I still don't understand the internal logic whereby if the king is being tyrannical and so condemning the, everything which is not in his image or conforming to some like strict yeah, procrastian bed it I doesn't don't understand how of necessity that 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 um calls fire down from heaven it is it it works in because it is kind of a pattern so it works in small ways it's just you're presuming that your image is somehow autologous or self-true uh -huh. that's interesting yeah so here can i give this example so like if i go back to empathy empathy is my highest value i think every i think everybody should be empathetic like everybody should just empathy is the best value there is i so think I'm, what i'm seeing is that an intuitive person like you assumes that an image is also simultaneously a representation of itself and i'm looking at it okay. and i'm looking at it in a one-dimensional way where it's just representing something because in in your image The, you know the, the 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 king is on top so whatever 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 the the, the king represents what's on top while mm -hmm. being a figure in the image mm -hmm. so what the king does is like you can expect that to happen at the highest level from within the image because it's like your your, your way of thinking is like somehow reflexive or meta it's breaking the fourth wall the image is like representing itself on some level but to me the king only exists as as a figure in the image. He doesn't exist somehow as a representation of the entire image while being a figure within the image. And that's <laughs> okay. Because because um, I mean, I'm just saying that I'm uh, well, I don't know. Maybe I don't understand still the logic why it happens. I'm just saying that I think maybe I did understand. I thought I understood for a moment, but it what it, what it means is that is that there's just a kind of extra level. To your thinking i 
where I don't know but if that's for me true. it's like things are kind of like 2D. Like like the king the king is only a figure within the image. He isn't somehow the highest level of reality or heaven within that image. Okay. But but it, it can be that way. It's totally legitimate. I'm 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 implicitly criticizing the limitations of my own way of thinking. Yeah, I'm not. Yeah, sorry, I'm I'm totally out of lost words. I'm not quite sure what to say. I hope it's helpful. It probably means that it probably means that when I'm when I'm when I'm speaking in this kind of propositional way, that it's probably like how that Jason Pratt guy was sounding. It's like, yeah, these are all words, but I'm not actually managing to put the concepts together like fast enough like you have to pick up all the jacks before the ball drops kind of thing which is hard to process language sometimes like that's the reason why i never why i never really read other people's philosophy because it was faster for me to just come up with the ideas myself than to understand someone else's way of expressing those same ideas even though they're the same ideas yeah yeah that makes sense yeah Mm -hmm. I guess yeah. I kept running you off the road whenever you were trying to make your point, so I apologize for that because I was oh, no, trying to figure fine. something else out. But no, no, that's fine. You're just trying to figure out how I think, which I don't even know how that is. So I just hope it's helpful in some way. I don't know if it is different. Yeah, like somebody I knew who wrote this whole play that was like it was all about various abstract concepts that were personified. And I was just like, who even thinks like that? And 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 um well you know allegory. Who yeah. thinks an allegory? That is so strange to me. Maybe that yeah, maybe that's how it is. I don't know. It's just like if I because I, I mean I don't think I always maybe I maybe I always thought similar to this. I don't know, but I don't think I necessarily always thought this way. I feel like I've had to break like certain things in my mind to try to see things differently but like i guess when i could mention the king like even the bible says most high so like if i was reading the scripture and it's like who is most so high? like what is most high? Key. yeah because the king is the representative of heaven my lord has said to my lord yeah it's but a, it's a synecdoche but even i mean even when i say god or i say most high or i say the king it's like that just seems so vague that i have to it seems vague for oh, you have purpose, to concretize though. it yeah it seems you but it seems it, it seems it seems like it's its purpose is that it's vague so like the most high could be empathy or it could be yeah, that's interesting because when i think of a word king i don't have an image i have a, i have an implicit train of semantic associations can you explain that a little more well i just i just have i it's like it's an it's like it's a bundle of, of sin of syntax Okay. Like different different laws and patterns that that this instantiates, but it's not. It doesn't have to be a visual image. It isn't a visual image because if it was a visual image, it wouldn't it wouldn't represent what it is. Um, yeah. And um, you know, I also think of um, the etymologies, and you know, like king, like like Saxon Koenig. So like these 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 associations are kind of enfolded within the concept 
and it's like they're all there ready to be unraveled depending on which thread in that bundle of yarn the situation pulls on mm -hmm. um um but um but i don't i don't have an image i don't have to concretize it i see so you don't you don't like when you think of king you don't get an image of a king no i don't no, know that i, I necessarily do king. either yeah okay i don't know that i see the and word the letter k is black the letters are there they're see-through but they're also in color the letter k yeah. is black and yeah, i okay. is white or clear and n is tan and g that's is green. interesting Okay. Light green kind of turquoise. Wow. That's the letter color synesthesia. That's interesting. That's very interesting. Yeah, I don't know that I get an actual image either, or that I get even, or that I definitely don't see the words, not in colors. Um, I guess just the. I, yeah, I don't even know that I get an image. It's almost just like a title or something, and it's like a, and so a lot of a lot of things can fall into that category. So like the most high. That's why. That's why I think Luke. Luke is correct when he says that the Antichrist is just a step away from like, you know, from the basically from like the, the most devout Christian, because the most high, like you, the more you aim for the most high, whatever you think that is, whatever you perceive God is, is like the best ultimate good you're aiming for it. And the closer you get to that ideal, then you're just a step away from saying I'm, I'm most high. Does that make sense? And that's what happened in the garden. It's like, I'm like God now. I, I could be God. I'm God. And in Isaiah 14, it's the same thing. I will be like the most high. I will be in. And so you're exalting yourself all the way up into the heavens to the throne of God, the throne of thrones, the king of kings. And then it's like, once you actually, the closer you get to God, the more you become like God, the closer you can stumble right and 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 it's so your own whoever, whoever would be first is last mm -hmm. and yeah. whatever would make itself highest is lowest and conversely uh -huh. the highest is what voluntarily became the lowest yeah and christ attained divinity by letting go of divinity um which is a very kind of eastern mystic kind of way way doing non-doing kind of thing um but see i understand it like that i understand it in terms of um and so when it's when it's in mercy though, whatever the most high is, when he's sitting on the throne of mercy, then he he when he reaches king, when they crown him king, then he becomes the martyr. This is Jesus, hmm. King of the Jews. He oh is, shoot. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. that's that's the leap from from the the highest throne into like almost the heavens or something. It's when the it's when the truth, the highest truth, is willing to sacrifice itself. Because it's sitting in mercy, it sacrifices itself for the other, sort of thing. Okay. So that so that's when Jesus is the ideal man. He's embodied. Uh, he's the best reflection of God, and then he sacrifices himself. He is the truth, and he sacrifices okay. himself for the other. Yeah. So these are the exact same ideas that I was laying out earlier in a much more, like verbal and propositional form. But it's the yeah. exact same idea, and that's why it has to be true to you because that's the pattern of reality. Yeah. Yeah, because um, yeah. it's full of full of inversion and like self self involution kind of yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. So you um, never and it's like, yeah, it's how reality works. Like, and it's how reality has to work because you never lose the ideal. Like you always have the most high you're aiming for, but then it's always has to be in mercy. Otherwise, it either otherwise it condemns you 
and that or you reach it and then you condemn everyone else that hasn't reached it so if it is empathy say you become the most empathetic person in the world and then everybody else is less sympathetic than you so to hell with them all like, it's just it's so like, interesting to me that, that, that you just actively put the world together in these kinds of ways i should probably get going soon but it does just okay. make me wonder like what what it's like to like how how do you experience reality? Like, do you do you? I guess you have an inner monologue. Do you have an inner mon monologue? Yeah, sometimes I guess. Sometimes, yeah. yeah, I have an sometimes. inner monologue too. When I have to imagine explaining something, then I would play the inner monologue and I would identify with it. But if I'm at the level above that, then it's actually very little of verbal thought that's happening. At least not anything not in terms of sub vocalized verbal thought but it's your brain voice speaking it's not it's not like that but it's not visual either and um it's just it's maybe some dimly or distantly embodied sensation of like turning looking feeling resistance um um, um being met by by pressure or something, I don't know. Um, um, and uh, but it's 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 every kind of it's every different kind of thinking in alternation, sort of in a kind of revolving alternation that happens very fast. It's very synesthetic. I think normal thought is like that for everybody. Actually, I suspect. Um, but uh, I don't know how much sense that makes. Sense. Probably I need to get going. No, I think that I'm gonna chew on that. I think it makes sense, but I think I just need to chew on it some more. You are a musician, right? Uh, yeah, somewhat. I wouldn't call myself a good one necessarily. I dabble. Creative people, I bet you draw too. You bet I what? Sorry. Draw. Uh, yeah, it's a little bit. Same thing. It's like I. The, the I'm not, creative I'm not... people, they always do everything. <laughs> yeah, I, I never. Me and my sister Natalie kind of will say the same thing. Like we're not really experts at anything. We just will pick up and do these little things and we'll get bored with it and set it down. So like I've never played banjo some, play guitar some, but I'm not really good at either of them. And as far as, far as art goes, I sometimes I'll draw if I want to, but it, that's pretty rare. That's a lot more rare than other things. But um, yeah, I don't do any of that. I just run logic all day in my head. Um, nice, nice. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Did you did you see the Hitler dilemma for annihilationism yet? The thirty think, minute video. Um, I think the was it the one you sent me because I've I've watched you've been I, I touching it, at it, it a with, few of them. I did it with Roger. I did it many times. Yeah. I just I just started the one with that. is it Raj Roger? Roger, yeah, so yeah, was, you talked you talked about it a little bit before, then you talked to Sam, and then you're doing it with him. And I just started the one with him, like right before we picked up this conversation. Yeah, with Sam, I didn't even fully. I with Sam, I laid out the the Hitler below, but I didn't go into like the the autistic expansion thereof, the analytic philosophy, thirty minute presentation of it, which I did with Roger. Um, but it does yeah. some uh, some. It was such an interesting, um, you know, Thomas Aquinas, he, he hit his head on a tree branch or something, and then he had some 
medical emergency that was also like a mystical experience. And afterward, he looked at the Summa and all that he had written. And he said, this is just straw, straw. And uh, um, uh, the, uh, there was somebody who, um, there was a sociology professor at a university and he had a, a left, he had a, he had a CVA, he had a stroke in his left frontal lobe. And um, after that, he found it very difficult to express his thoughts, but he also found himself immersed in a kind of um, rich interiority that he would not exchange for all the verbal precision and abstraction that he used to deal so easily in before, because it was a much realer and more vivid and integrated moment to moment experience of himself in the world that he had as a result of losing a side of himself that it was like wow. it's false self it's just a persona just just a just a social mask that you falsely identify with um wow. yeah i mean there's an amazing quotation from that i wonder if i'm gonna try to find it i sent it to someone you know i'm not gonna try to find it I'll let I'll let you go. All right. I think I'm gonna get some food or something. Eat some okay. dinner. But thanks for doing this, man. This is a blast. I had a lot of fun. Yeah, so. but next time you gotta you gotta stay technical with me and we're gonna we gonna <laughs> listen to the dude running arguments. We're not gonna um yeah. go off and talk about XYZ metaphor <laughs> All right. and everything. You have to keep it propositional, my friend. Okay, all right. Yeah, sorry about that's that. That's what I wanted to do, man. See, <laughs> you got to get on the level of Jason Pratt. The dude is the king of the propositions. All right, I'll listen to some more of them. I'll try to find the other ones. I and he get. does reign from the mercy seat, which is really interesting because his interpretations are spot on, dude. Oh, man, like, he was talking about, like, the, not the unjust steward, but but something like that, like the unjust steward, like a really confusing parable, right? Mm -hmm. And he says, yeah, because what he owes is forgiveness. Yeah, I remember him saying that. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. we need to stick on like, that more. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it's like yeah, this dude is like he's super Christological because like he's he's talking about the sheep and the goats, and for whatever reason he translates goats as baby goats. Yeah, yeah. And so I didn't really necessarily understand that, but yeah. And there's the there's the duality of that parable where it's like you can interpret all the other parables as a sheep would or as a baby goat would. And then and as you if you do, you get two different kinds. <laughs> The the, the the meaning of all the parables shifts and there's two like sets of parables and basically one is a universalistic set you know where where even the dogs get the crumbs um especially the dogs get the crumbs um the the rivers of living water flow out of the new jerusalem and the other is like yeah it's like it's like when they're in prison you don't visit them they suck you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know what i mean yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and and, and, and um, so yeah, this dude is definitely truth on the mercy seat in terms of his approach. I hope he's okay, man. He's like tremendous yeah. person, tremendous. Um, but yeah. anyway, I should I should let you go. Okay, all right, man. Well, thanks again. You have a great night. So thanks, yeah, love you. Love you too, man. Take it easy. All right, take it easy.